Our reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. us and instruct us. Uh, We thank you that you provide your word uh, to encourage and also, Lord, to show us 
uh, how to follow you. So we, we ask that uh, as we spend time considering this passage, the story of what happens to the apostles uh, in front of the religious leaders, that you would um, help us to see what it teaches us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before Advent, we had started a series in the book of Acts. We're going to pick that series back up for a few more weeks and continue to look at what is it that the book of Acts can show us about being the church. Uh, One of the interesting things about the book of Acts is that it really is, uh, in some ways, it's descriptive of what happened in the formation of the church after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. But there's also a lot of things that are are descriptive or prescriptive for us, uh, help us to understand how it is that we should be the church today. So we're going to be looking at at the book of Acts, and specifically as I was uh, getting ready for this, you know, jumping back into it, I started to think, okay, what were some of the the big themes that we were able to identify when we were in Acts before Advent? And three things came to mind. First of all, we see that that God was uh, providing uh, provided the Holy Spirit uh, to empower his church, uh, and that the Spirit, everything that they're doing really is done in the power of the Spirit. We see that even, and we'll note that again today. Uh, secondly, one of the things that we see is that Jesus is really working hard to protect his church, uh, that part of God's plan, we see that even in today's passage, that God's plan is that the church was going to face opposition, and yet God is still continuing to protect his church in a variety of different ways. Uh, And then the third thing that we see, which again shows up in this passage today, is that Jesus prospers the work of his church, that that they're continuing to teach and do all these amazing things uh, that are really bringing more and more people to consider the teachings of Jesus, consider the resurrection of Jesus, uh, and put their faith in him. Uh, And the the backstory of that, the backdrop of that is this rising persecution. Did y'all notice that those all had Ps? Um, And uh, come on, a little little alliteration there. Uh, There's this persecution that's happening in the life of the church. And I want to be really clear because I know that that word persecution can can be tossed around. What we're specifically seeing in the book of Acts was... Uh, a, a concerted effort to stop the teaching of Jesus uh, and to attack those who were teaching about Jesus. And, and the culmination of that we'll see in a couple of weeks uh, is that people are actually killed for teaching about Jesus in the same way that Jesus was taught. Now, in this particular passage, the focus is the struggle between faith and unbelief. And what you see in the religious leaders and the Sanhedrin, this group of elders that govern the religious life of the people of Israel, uh, what we see in them is unbelief devolving into what we will see as murderous rage. And we contrast that then to the faith of the apostles that, in sp- and specifically in this passage, it's the apostles, but I think we, can, we, can, we see that that's not just true of the apostles, it's true of all of the Christians. Uh, this, this persevering faith that actually leads them to do something that makes, on the face of it, makes no sense at all. We see at the end of the passage, they're actually rejoicing after getting beaten up that they are able to suffer for the name of Jesus. So that's the contrast we're looking at. Two points today. First of all, the roots of unbelief, uh, and then secondly, the perseverance of faith. So looking at the roots of unbelief, let's back up a little bit. 
So the, the persecution picks up in the book of Acts in chapter four after Peter and John heal a man who had been unable to walk for 40 years. And there what we read in chapter four, verse two, is that the religious leaders were greatly annoyed Uh, They're greatly annoyed because the teaching of the people, because they were teaching the people and this teaching of Jesus is spreading. Uh, So that's their initial response to the teaching of the apostles. But in this particular passage, what we see is that what begins as annoyance devolves into something a lot uh, more severe. And there's there's, I think, an important lesson for us to learn here is that what you see is that um, unbelief, and this is true of belief as well, oftentimes doesn't, isn't simply a matter of the head, but it's also a matter of the heart. Uh, and so what you see here is that, and, and this makes sense, right? Because God created us with emotions. Uh, God created us to experience annoyance and joy and sadness and despair and grief. That's a part of the normal human life. Uh, and that those emotions feed into and inform what we believe and what we don't believe. And that's that's the way things are. Uh, And so what you see here as the passage picks up in our particular passage today is that um, they, you know, they were arrested, they get, they set, they're set free, uh, and then they get arrested again. And what we see in verse 17 is that the high priests and the associates are filled with jealousy now. So annoyance turns into jealousy. That's a kind of an interesting idea. Why are they filled with jealousy? Well, what we're beginning to see in the book of Acts is that the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of not just the apostles, but of the church, these men and women who are going out and they're talking about Jesus and doing amazing things in the name of Jesus. Uh, we see, for example, in Acts chapter 3, verse 10, that, that, um, th- that uh, th- there was awe and wonder at what was happening in the name of Jesus. We see at the beginning of this passage, before we started reading, that people are actually coming to Jerusalem. They're traveling to Jerusalem because they hear the things that are happening and they're just, they're intrigued. And so the, 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 even the, the religious leaders say that they are filling Jerusalem with teaching about Jesus. Uh, and really what, what a lot of people assume, and I think this is right, is that there was a fear of losing power, that the religious leaders were afraid of the consequences of them losing the influence that they had. What's really fascinating is they say, you know, you're, you're, you're making us guilty of the blood of Jesus, but that's what they said. They said, may his blood be on our hands for killing him. And that's exactly what's happening. And then they're annoyed, they're jealous, they're scared. And so they arrest the apostles. And then this angel shows up. This is crazy. This is actually kind of comical if you stop and think about it, right? They arrest the apostles. They're under guard. So you've got 12 men who are all arrested in a jail cell because Judas has been replaced at this point. And then an angel shows up. And, and I, you know, I, I would love to see, was this like a Mission Impossible kind of thing where they're like sneaking out? Or was it just one of those things where like the angel's like, no, we're not playing games. And he just you know, opens it up and they walk out strutting and the guards aren't able to do anything. We don't know. It wouldn't be interesting to find that out though. But what we know is that the angel says, tomorrow morning, what you need to do is you need to go out back to the temple and you need to teach again. That's why they got arrested. And the morning comes. 
The religious leaders get all themselves together. They're getting ready to bring the apostles in. All right, go get them. And the guards show. Can you imagine what that guard that opened that jail cell must have thought? <laughs> right? That, that sinking feeling in your stomach when you walk in and there's supposed to be 12 people inside that cell and there's not one. And you come back out and someone says, oh, there they are. They're back in the temple teaching. There's a, there's a little bit of comedy in this, except for the fact of what it is that's going on, that these, these folks are, are getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And so what you see in verses 29 is Peter and the other apostles replied, or um, they, they arrest them again. But the second time they arrest them, it's in front of everybody. And what did we see? The guards, the guards are more careful the second time. Why? Because they're afraid that they're going to get stoned. So they arrest them, they bring them back. And then this is what uh, the Sanhedrin says to them. We told you to stop teaching. And this is what Peter says in response. We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to you to those who obey him. Now, What happens next? Verse 33. What happens next is that when the Sanhedrin heard this, they became furious. They they came to the point of murderous rage. And this is where they begin to plot to kill the apostles in the same way that they plotted to kill Jesus. Unbelief for the religious leaders was a matter of the heart as much as it was a matter of the head. And this is true for us. We have to account for the the doubts and the questions that we have. Listen, it doesn't matter whether you've grown up in the church and, and you've known the stories of the Bible since you were a little boy or girl, or if this is your first time in a church in a really long time, we all have doubts. We all have questions. We all have reasons not to believe. That is the truth, and, if, and, and we need to own that. Some might say, oh, well, just pretend like those beliefs aren't there. Well, that, that, those beliefs gain more power. Those, uh, I'm sorry, that unbelief, that doubt um, gets more power. What we need to do is we need to doubt our doubt. We need to question our unbelief. And the best way to do that, the best way that I know to do that is to do that in the context of communities that will respect the questions that we have, that will, that will help us struggle with the doubts and unbelief that we have. And that's the kind of church that Harbor has striven to be for years. That's the kind of church that we want to continue to be. And so if you have questions, if you have doubts, if you have unbelief, we want to be a place, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, we, we want to be and strive to be a place where you can bring those questions and in the context of relationships, be able to have dialogue and back and forth about how to, how to answer the questions that we all have. Because if we don't, what ends up happening is they devolve into things that can be, not in every situation, obviously, but they can become very destructive, destructive as we see with the religious leaders. So that's, that's, example, that's the first example, right? You have these religious leaders who are supposed to be people of faith, who are the, the religious teachers of Israel, 
and they refuse to believe, and it's born part of their emotions and part of their disbelief. And then in contrast to that, we have these apostles, these, these 12 individuals, and this is we're, we're focusing on them, but this is true not just of them, it's true of the other women and men who are following Jesus at this time. Now, what's fascinating, I want to start at the end of the passage now as we consider the faith of, the, of, these, uh, of these 12 individuals. Verse 41. Okay, so what's happened? They were arrested. They've already been arrested before. They were arrested. They were set free. The angel says, go do what you were doing before. They go do it again. They get arrested again. Then they get beat up. Gamaliel says, kicks them out for a little bit. Then they come back in. They get beaten up. And then they're sent away. And this is what we read. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now, that word name is really important. That word name is is referring to Jesus. Okay? They had been counted worthy of suffering for Jesus, and they rejoiced. Bloody lips, black eyes, whatever it is that they had, they rejoiced. How does that happen? Like, do you you all rejoice? Can you imagine getting beat up and then walking away saying, like, I'm so glad I got beat up today, right? Nobody thinks that way. So what happened? What's going on? I I think there are three things, at least three things. There's more, but three things that I want to point to uh, that I see out of this passage. The first thing that we see is they had experienced the grace of God. Notice what they say to the, to the religious leaders. Um, you know, they say, like, we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that God uh, seated Jesus at his right hand. If you were here during our Advent series, we talked about Jesus being made heir of all things. They're, they're acknowledging that. They're pointing to that. But then they say this in verse 31. Um, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring to Israel repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now, that's not a theoretical idea for these guys, right? What happened to these, to these men? The night that Jesus uh, is betrayed, uh, he says to them, hey, guys, I really need you to stay up and pray with me. And they fall asleep. And then the, the guards come to arrest Jesus. One of their own betrays Jesus. And what happens? You know what happens at the end of that scene? They all, they all get out of there. In fact, um, one of them, probably John, gets out of there so fast that the guards try to grab his clothes. His clothes get ripped off of him and he runs away stark naked. Then there's the trial. Only one of them is there, Peter. And what does he do? Come on, you know, what does he do? Three times. Only one of them was there at the cross. John is the only one who's there when he's being crucified. This is a group of utter failures. When their man Jesus needed him, when needed them, they were not there. And he forgave them. And he restored them. And he commissioned them. You know that kind of love? That's, that's powerful love. So first of all, they experienced the grace of God. They experienced the grace of God in Jesus. Secondly, they've been empowered by the Spirit of God. 
Uh, we've seen this throughout the book of Acts. Like, uh, friends, like this is not, um, this is the second time I've preached in my life through the book of Acts. I've studied the books of, book of Acts multiple times. Uh, I, I am this time around, as I've been reading the book of Acts, I'm just astounded by how prevalent the work of Holy Spirit is in the life of the church. Those, those men and those brothers and sisters back then, the spirit of God, and incidentally, the same spirit that you and I have today, if we follow and claim the name of Jesus, the spirit of God empowered them and we even see it in the passage, right? When, uh, when Peter says, we are witnesses of these things, what does he go on to say? So is Holy Spirit. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. That's exactly what Jesus said that Holy Spirit was going to do. Holy Spirit is going to be a witness of the things that I've done. Holy Spirit is testifying in the hearts of these women and these men, and specifically in these 12 apostles, that Jesus is king. Amen. And then the third thing that we see, and this is really astounding, uh, it was there, it was an engagement with God's word. if you have a Bible open, this is one of those things where like, I actually, like, I actually did this in my Bible. I had to highlight it because it was so astounding to me. I, 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 I underlined them all. The amount of time just in this passage that you have reference to teaching is really astounding. Verse 21, uh, we see that they were teaching the, and when the disciples get arrested. It says they, they began to teach the people in verse 21. Verse 25, after they'd been arrested, the angel says, go, go back to the temple and teach. And then in verse 25, that's what they're doing. They're in the temple after having been arrested. They're in the temple and they're teaching again. Then we have in verse 28, when the religious leaders are coming after them and says, we gave you orders not to teach. That's the second time that they've been given those orders. They were also given those orders back in Acts chapter four when it was only Peter and John that were arrested and they got beat up then too. And notice what they say. This is astounding, right? You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And then after they get beat up a second time, all 12 of them, bloodied and bruised, what do they do? They walk out and they rejoice. And then it says in verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That's astounding to me. That that was how central the word of God was. Because what are they doing? Like, you understand, like they're teaching, right? So, probably preaching, probably Bible study, but what they're doing is they're taking the Old Testament scriptures and they're expounding them, they're teaching, they're explaining them, okay? In, in a little while, what's gonna end up happening is that the New Testament scriptures are gonna start being written, right? And what you're seeing is that this body of teaching was absolutely fundamental and central to the life of the church, I don't think we can underestimate. Now, that's not all that's happening. I'm just, I'm zeroing in on these three things. Uh, I don't think we can underestimate the importance of having a deep experience of God's grace, 
recognizing that we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit and a regular engagement with Jesus and his teaching, how transformative and central they are to the life of the Christian, to the life of the church. And how when we, when we are rooted and grounded in those things, how that positions us to be the church in the midst of turbulent times. We live in turbulent times. Did you know that? Are you aware of that? We live in turbulent times. The reality is that between, let's just, let's just rattle off the list, right? Critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, uh, COVID, vaccines, masks, uh, politics. We just had the one-year anniversary of an insurrection on the Capitol. Like all of these things, right? That's, that's the context in, where we're, in which we are trying to be the church. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and the reality is that the church in the United States, this is the, the, the problem we find ourselves in as the church in the United States, is that we have allowed, this is not saying something I've said to you guys many times, we have allowed ourselves to be discipled by many things other than Jesus. Uh, and so the foundations that we should have, have as a result of that, they become eroded. That's a dangerous place for us to be as the church in the United States. And one of the things that, is, and it's become especially, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, highlighted for me this week um, is that, uh, and I've come to really appreciate this week, uh, is that even here at Harbor, the, the, the range of views that folks have on any number of these different issues. Uh, and and, and that I think that that's actually a strength of us as a church, uh, that we have people with, with different opinions that are all able to love and serve and worship together. Uh, amen, yes, amen, absolutely, right? But, 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 right, um, how do we move forward from there? And, and I think as I've been thinking and reflecting and praying about this this week, as I think it's here for us, right? It's continually reminding ourselves that we have been saved by God's grace, that we have experienced the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Uh, it's continually being reminded of what it means to walk in the spirit, that we've been empowered by the spirit of God, the spirit that brought Jesus again from the dead, life-giving spirit, death-destroying spirit power is in you and I if we claim to follow the name of Jesus. That's amazing. And then, amen, yes, I love it. You guys were getting there. And then, and then a commitment to God's word. That's why, that's why it's not an accident. Like that's why we we're starting Bible studies uh, because we need to be a people who are formed by teach the teaching of Jesus. We need to be a people that are formed by the teaching of the apostles, by the teachings of the Old and the New Testament. So let me explain, this is what this looks like, right? So we're starting Bible studies for adults in February. Uh, and, and this is something that we want to offer going forward. We want, we want Bible studies and life groups to be two of the things that we're offering to you as a church in order to ground us and root us in the teaching of Jesus. 
so that we are formed by Scripture. We're having conversations right now about what does it look like for us to do the same thing for our children so that we can raise up the next generation of the church and that they are rooted and established in the teaching of Jesus and what it is that the word of God teaches them about all number of different things. Uh, And we're in the very, very, very early stages of working through what does it look like for us to do life-on-life type discipleship in the church. That's how, and, and just so you know, like that's what I'm doing this year. My, my sense from God as I've been thinking and praying is that this year, that is what Jesus is calling Omar to do at Harbor City. That alongside with prayer. Because that's the kind of church that Jesus is calling us to be. That's, that's the kind of church, the kind of people that we see here in this passage. You see, this is why we're coming to Acts. We're coming to Acts because we see in the book of Acts these, these things that, 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 that help us and inform the way that we think about being the church. So that whatever trial, whatever adversity, whatever it is that we face, if we are rooted in the grace of Christ, if we are empowered by the Spirit of God, if we are engaging deeply and being formed by his word, then that crazy thing that happens at the end of this passage where where you have these presumably bloodied and bruised men rejoicing that they get to follow Jesus, that that would be us that in spite of diversity of views on things, despite all of the tensions and things that we face, that we can rejoice that we are worthy of following Jesus who is on the throne. Amen? Let's pray. Father, uh, that's a wonderful thing to think about, but the reality is that, that none of that happens if your spirit uh, is not at work. None of this happens if you don't pour out your favor on us as a people. Uh, and so we ask, Lord, that you would please help us, uh, that we would be able to really not just say that we believe the gospel, but that we really actually drive deeper into our hearts the reality that you have forgiven us. Uh, Lord, help us, teach us what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, that we would be able to live as your people who have the spirit of God, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead at work in our lives and in our hearts. And that we would be a people that are formed by scripture uh, and that, that what you teach us in your word is the primary thing that informs how we see things. And we recognize, Lord, that in it, that doesn't mean that we all agree on everything, but that 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 common bond unites us even when we uh, have to agree to disagree. Uh, Lord Jesus, this is the kind of church that you call us to be, and this is the kind of church that we want to be. So please help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.